Yeah, it's, it's amazing to have seen what has happened to our youth group over like the last year or so. Uh, Tom and Blake and everyone have been doing just an amazing job shepherding and just loving on those kids. And it's cool just to be able to see life change, um, especially that happened down at Super Summer. Um, but good morning, everybody. Good morning. This is really so good to be before you. My name is Alfonso Mack. If you have not met me, I am a uh, pastor in training here on staff. And so what that means is I get opportunities like today where I get a uh, chance to just share and preach and teach God's word. Um, and so... If you've been with us at all, you know we've been in this series in the book of Proverbs, and it's been such a really cool series. But what you have to remember about Proverbs is that it is considered the wisdom literature of the Bible. It's just a genre of the scriptures. And when I think about wisdom, I think about how James, in the book of James, he tells us to go and ask for wisdom. But in Proverbs 2.6, it says that wisdom is literally given by God. God is the one who literally gives wisdom. And so wisdom can be considered a part of God using certain tools, this tool to be able to help us navigate the complexities of life in a way that literally glorifies him. And so Ray Orland actually describes wisdom this way, where he says, wisdom is when we outgrow our misconceptions about how life should work, and we learn how God actually built life to work and work well. God's wisdom enters our hearts and changes us within so that as we grow, we know intuitively what to do and what not to do, what will work and what won't work. Wisdom is skill for living when there is no obvious rule to go by. And so wisdom can be is something that should be applied into so many areas of our lives. And one of the, the areas that we need it desperately is in our relationships, especially our friendships. And a proverb that we'll be in today, we'll be talking about this. And I spent all week wrestling with whether or not I even wanted to get up here and talk about this. As literally early in this summer in this series, uh, Kent came and gave a great sermon. And then uh, Jaden did last week about just how friendships look into a different part uh, of friendships. But I just wanted to just dive even a little bit deeper just been pressed on my heart about what true friendships look like that help us grow as followers of Jesus. And when I think about friendship, I think about my time back in South Bend, Indiana, growing up on the West Side, literally thinking about the kids on my street that I hung out with all the time, my friends that I made at school that became lifelong friends. I think about the people at my church, but then I also think about this song that literally has been resonating with me throughout my entire childhood. It's from, it's from the 80s by a hip-hop group called Houdini, and it's called Friends. And it, it goes like this, friends, how many of us have them? And then it repeats, and then he says, friends, ones we can depend on. And then it says, then it does it one more time. And then right at the end, it says, before we go any further, let's be friends. And what, he, what you see throughout the song is that they start talking about different types of friends and friendships that you have. And then there's also this part in the song where someone has a friendship and it ends up not going as well as it should have. And then you see that this person ends up having a different view towards people because of a bad friendship. Um, and so that's just one part of friendships. But every time I hear that song or I think, or I hear the word friendship, I think about just how friendship is something that every last one of us desires. We all long for companionship. It doesn't matter whether you are Christian or not. We all want friends. And we get glimpses of friendship everywhere that we turn. Think about it. Social media was created so we can do what? Connect with our friends. We think about TV shows such as what? Seinfeld. You think about SpongeBob. You might think about Living Single for, from, for other people. You might think about Golden Girls, right? <laughs> like we could, the list goes on and on and on. Or even Martin for some of us. It, it, it just goes on and on. When you think about friendship, you see it there. You can also see it in movies. And all this talk about friendship and all these different places makes me really think about what does real friendship look like? What does it take to have great relationships? Now, as I, even as I ask this question, I cannot help but think about just what I have seen 
in my own personal life, throughout the country, and in the lives of so many other people. And it's just that our view of friendship and connectivity has just been tainted just a little bit. Our culture, especially here in the Western world, has become so individualistic and isolated that while we long for friendship, we feel at the same exact time very, very unknown. We feel unknown. We feel isolated, and we just want to be connected with so many people intimately. But in what we see, it's even, it even has fallen itself into the church, and it has influenced the depth of our relationships where we can walk into church on Sunday we can walk into a life group or Bible study throughout the week, and we can write, and we see that we aren't actually noticed by anyone. We, we feel alone. Does anyone know me? We put on a happy face when someone says, how are you doing? We say we're doing good, but not really understanding that people just don't know who we are. They don't know what's who I am deep down. They don't know that deep sin struggle. They don't know that, that, that uh, desire that you have for pride or just that deep battle that you have with jealousy or anger or loneliness, that pain you have from your childhood that keeps walking around with you or that anxiety, depression, thoughts of suicide. They don't know that your marriage might be literally struggling. They don't know that you're doing bad financially. They don't even know that you have doubts about Jesus and your relationship with him and all of this stuff that is going on. And even those thoughts and how we even see ourselves when we walk in here just shows, sometimes shows itself in our relationship with Jesus, where we struggle to maybe seek him in whatever it is we're going through, not really wanting to lay down at his feet everything that we have going on because we think that maybe we can handle it. We're just too alone. We didn't want to hold on to it. We just feel like literally because of our flaws, Jesus doesn't want us. That's just what we go through. And this is crazy that I know this past year has literally hindered some of that desire for relationship. But there was a study that came out that literally said that one fourth, pretty much a quarter of practicing Christians from from before COVID pretty much have not come back to church. And so there's this, this thing where people are just so isolated. When I think about all of these things, it makes me wonder, what would it truly look like if our relationships here on earth resembled the depths of the Trinity, the God of the universe who existed and created friendship and relationship, the one who existed in this perfect love relationship between his son and the Holy Spirit? Where we, where we even see Jesus relying upon the Holy Spirit in his life. If you go look in the Gospels, you see him taking instruction from his heavenly father. You see Jesus taking time to go spend with his, with his father on the mountains. He's spending time, but then it also trickles down into the relationship you see with his friends, the disciples, the 12. And so much where Jesus says this in John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And so you see that from his life. And then it spills into the early church and even to the life of the apostle Paul, where you see Paul in, in, in his life and in his letters, he's writing to Timothy. He's writing to Titus, these people he had great friendships, Epaphrodites, the list goes on and on. And you even see it when he's even talking to specific churches, where in 1 Thessalonians 3.10, he pretty much says to them, I long to see you face to face. Literally, so I can give what's lacking in your faith. So he, he has this relationship, these friendships with these people, and you see it in the history of God's love and relationship has been seen from Genesis to all the way to Revelation. It's at the heart of God's cosmic display of love. Where he's leading us to a transformation that literally happens to everyone who encounters him. And I sometimes just wonder what has happened to us, his people, where we feel like we just have to just do this alone where we struggle in some way to really have relationships that are transforming our lives? What would it look like if we had a renewed vision 
of our relationships and our friendships? What would it look like if we looked inwardly and we were the amazing friend that we want so many people to be? And all of this talk, this setting all this up, just brings me to my big question. We normally do big ideas around here, but today I just have a big question. It's pretty much the same exact thing. And is, are we seeking friendships and relationships that sharpen and mold us into the image of Jesus? Are we seeking friendships and relationships that sharpen us and mold us into the image of Jesus? And so where we'll be is in this simple verse in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. And so could you please stand with me for the reading of God's word if you have your Bibles. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Yeah, we won't be standing long. Won't be standing long. This is one of my favorite parts. Proverbs 27, verse 17, it says this. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Let me repeat it. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. You may be seated. So what I want to do this morning is pretty much just break down this verse and its importance and talk about three things that will literally uh, help us understand how our relationships and our friendships should be shaped into the image of Jesus. Now, depending on what version you might be reading of this verse, it might say a friend sharpens a friend. Mine's the version I'm reading, the CSB says a person sharpening another. Uh, but in the King James, it reads as a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. Here, there is this picture of how close sharpening friendships develop and transform our character for the better. So this is set up when you look at the first half of the verse, where it talks about iron sharpens iron. And when I think about that, it, it takes me back and in, in going into my kitchen. And I think about the knives. And some of you might have knives in your kitchen, and the knives that you've been using over and over and over again. And then one day you want to go cut some chicken that's raw. And you know it's sometimes hard to cut raw chicken with dull knives. And it's like, man, this is a struggle. And then you're just like, all right, I know I need to go and grab something to sharpen my knife. So you literally might go, go and grab a honing steel sharpener or a wheat stone to be able to sharpen your knife up and all of these things would have been very similar to what the author Solomon would have understood and so would his audience have of knowing that things need to be sharpened because when they're dull, they're ineffective. And so really when back then, they, they needed to be able to sharpen up their, their, their armor, their weapons, and their tools. And so this was something that was very common. And so even when I was doing a little bit more research, when they, were, when they would go and sharpen things, it was so that they could take away deformities, make things smoother, and also help them have an ability to cut. So this makes so much more sense because when I think about our lives and even my own at times, I'm walking around dull. I'm, I'm walking around tired. I'm walking around ineffective. I mean, there's all these things in life that literally just weighing us down where we're exerting ourselves every single day. We're pouring in to our relationships, but at the same time, we're battling between lost pain, insecurity, our own sin, dealing with family jobs, all these things and bad friendships. And in all of this, we realize we are dying out and we are in need of a source of revitalization so that we can literally be changed, but we don't know what's going to happen next if we don't get it. And this actually makes sense when I think about how, how dull knives are. They, some people say that dull knives are very, very dangerous for you, that they literally increase the chances of cutting yourself or causing harm to yourself. And so maybe we are close to that and we are in desperate need today. Now, let me say before we even continue on that Jesus himself is the only way for us to be sharpened and revitalized and made effective. And him at the, at the center of our friendships is what aids in that process for us. And so this is essential for us today when looking at this verse of how a, a person sharpens another person because it really, really matters in our lives. 
It does. It's, it's one of those things where you think about our friendships and relationships impact who we become. And you can see it all throughout the scripture. Paul says in literally 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals. Or even in the Proverbs, talk about in the Proverbs as well, Proverbs 22, verses 24, 25. This is kind of crazy. He says, don't make friends with an angry person. Don't be a, a companion of a hot-tempered one, or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Okay? Um, also, you see it again in Proverbs 18.24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so many people understand this. You could think about the world, and even in the world, even if you aren't a Christian, you've never read the Bible, you know that your friendships impact who you are. They, they reflect who you are, and they, and they transform you to whatever way, shape, or form. And so this is what makes the vision for our relationships so important. It matters because our flow friendships are leading us somewhere. It's either leading us into gossip, slander, uh, anger, jealousy, bitterness, bad decision, or our friendships are leading us towards godliness. It's one or the other. So with that, my main question, it literally goes back to what I said at the beginning, is what would it really just take for us to have friendships that shape and sharpen us into the likeness of Christ? What would that take? So this leads me to my first point this morning. Out of three points, real iron sharpens iron friendships are filled with challenges. Real iron sharpens iron friendships are filled with challenges. And so when you look at this verse and how, it's break down, and how it breaks down, it's centered on being able to have friends who literally are able to say hard things and challenge us in our thinking. Now, challenges are very, very hard. We don't like to be challenged. We don't really want that all the time. It's hard when somebody has, a, has something that, that they see that you're doing wrong and they bring it to you. So this is really what makes it so, so hard for us. But it's also a good thing when people do that for us. And one way that I didn't mention that this verse actually translates, it actually says that a man sharpens his friend's face. So when it's studied, it resembles that sharpening the face of a dull blade with the force of something else to create friction so that the face of the blade can actually be sharper. This verse, iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another, is essentially inferring having friends who are not afraid to give constructive criticism and press in on the issues in our lives. This is a friend who sees us as we are and is willing to apply just a little bit of pressure and critique to help sharpen us so that we can become the people that God himself has called us to actually be. Now, this proverb does not mean and it does not say that you can just go around here waving your finger at people saying like, ah, you need to stop doing that. That's not what this proverb is saying. Right. We must approach people with grace and patience. We're not supposed to be out here dishonoring people. But what we really need is friends who will love on us by being able to approach us in an honorable confront with honorable confrontation, where they approach us with some respect. It's okay to be confronted, but do it respectfully. And you can see this even throughout the Bible. It's very, it's very, very clear. And you can see it back in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11 after uh, David committed sin, and he literally uh, um, committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband literally killed on the front lines, and, and Nathan Praise God for Nathan. Nathan, God, God used Nathan to literally come to David and just reveal to him his sin. He gives him this parable and he says, you're the man in this parable. And then the next thing you see is that David, he goes and repents. And then there we see Psalm 51. And if you never read Psalm 51, I would suggest going and reading it. It's one of the greatest chapters in the scriptures where we get to see this picture of repentance and longing for Jesus to literally transform. 
And this happened, why? Because one, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in the life of David, but also because Nathan was a friend that God used to literally point out to him how he was wrong. And it literally led to him walking in the ways of the Lord after he repented. And this is what you see. And this, you see also this in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, he has to call out Peter. Okay, so Peter was literally hanging out with the Gentiles. And anytime the Jews from the circumcised party would come around, he's like, oh, I don't know who those people are. He would disrespect them. He would act as if he didn't know them. And then Paul calls, pretty much says, I had to rebuke him to his face because he was just being hypocritical. It's like, how are you supposed to be one way, but you aren't even reaching the people that God has called you to? And it's all over the Bible where you see these commands to literally admonish one another, to teach one another, to instruct, also to be devoted to one another. And this is all throughout the Bible. And when I, and when I think about this, I look at my life and I, it reminds me of a, of a time where I sat down and was challenged by one of my mentors, one of my friends. He doesn't even know I'm sharing this today, but he'll be okay. And um, so we, we, one of the things that we love to do is we would love to go and get breakfast. And so there was one morning where we're just hanging out. And let me mind you, this is the first time he's ever actually challenged me. And so we're just hanging out. He's asking me how life's going. I'm like, oh, things are well. And he asked me about my marriage. And, I was, and how has that been going? I'm like, oh, things have been going great. I love my wife. You know, she's awesome. Um, but I was like, man, I feel like I've been a little bit impatient lately. And I haven't been as gentle in my, in my words towards her. And I just remember right afterwards, feel like I got hit in the head with a bat. It's like, it's like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, you have to be gentle. God has called you towards that. You must be loving towards her. And I just remember that feeling in my heart of like, man, that challenge is hard. It's hard to be told that you're wrong. But then afterwards, I literally was just met with this, this, this piece in my heart of like, man, he's right, though. He's definitely right. And I must go and do something about it. And when I think about those words where he challenged me, it was just like this in Proverbs 24, 26, where it says, he who gives an honest answer gives a kiss on the lips. Now, listen, if you are my friend, I don't want no kiss on the lip from you. But I do want, I do want, an honest, I do want you to be honest with me if I am in the wrong. This is, this is me saying to all my friends today, you can be as honest with me as you need to if I am in the wrong. But essentially, when I look at this verse a little bit, what he's, he's saying, hey, People who give honesty to you, it literally is something sweet for your life. And it will help you so much for your soul in the long run. Now, with all of this, just because I would, what I want to say, though, is that just because someone shares something hard with you does not mean that they don't love you. It, do, it doesn't mean that they hate you. I know the world speaks that today. If someone disagrees with you on any point of where you stand, that they hate you automatically. And no, that's not actually the case. It's a, like, I think it's a loving thing to go and correct someone when they're wrong. You should want to be corrected when you're wrong because being wrong can lead you in the wrong direction. It can literally, be, literally hinder your life. You read it in one of the Proverbs earlier, how those things can lead to ruin. And so we should want people in our lives who are willing to just challenge us, to challenge us. Now, another characteristic of what it takes to have good friendships is intentionality, which leads me to my second point. Real iron sharpens iron friendships are in, take intentionality. They take intentionality. So this verse, iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. The act of iron sharpening iron isn't something that just happens overnight without any work. You have to intentionally grab that knife and apply it to something else in order for the knife to be sharpened. If not, it's going to be dull. So literally, I cannot have two things that, that are here and there's air or space in between them. They have to come into contact with one another. 
And the thing about this, you have to be intentional to set up a time to actually do that. And it's something that must be done consistently. Why? Because as you continue to use the knife, it dulls again. So you have to intentionally over and over again, as the time appears, be able to sharpen it together so, so that it can be more effective. And this does take work. And this is just like what it is for us having friendships that sharpen us. It's going to take some work. We cannot have relationships that point us towards Jesus without putting any effort in. And I think the author of Hebrews knew this in chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. And he says, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, being intentional literally means not neglecting to meet together. Now, that's more than just showing up here on a Sunday thinking you're, you're good. It's, it's being willing to seek out friendships within the body of Christ that are literally provoking love and good works. That's what that actually looks like. It's like seeking out friendships that have depth and meaning. And I ponder, what would it actually look like if this was applied to the way that we walked into life groups? Or even just Bible studies or meetings with our friends where we literally are open and we're confessing sin or we're talking about literally just some of the hardships that are going on in our lives. Maybe it's being open and just processing stuff that, you, that you're struggling with. Now, I know some people have a, do an amazing job at this and they have a great friendships where they are always open and they are reflecting this. But there are some of us who want this, but we just struggle so much to put in the effort and hard work it takes to actually draw near and be sharpened by our relationships. It's easy for us to talk about sports and weather and Netflix shows and the hottest gossip around town when we meet around with our friends. But it's really hard, though, to want to talk about your character, to talk about what's going down on in your heart. It's hard to talk about your sin and the things that all the pain that's going on. It's hard to talk about those things, and rightfully so. This is very hard, as there are many barriers that hinder our intentionality in our friendships. Now, a barrier that some people might have is just this, this fear of being found out. It's like, man, if people knew the struggle that I was going through, if they knew my battle with sin or even my doubts about Jesus, they would shame me. They would think less of me. They wouldn't want me around. There's just this fear and shame that's just centered in people. Or there might be some who literally just struggle with trusting other people because you've literally been hurt by Christians or just friends in your life. And it makes, you, it, makes it hard for you to want to open up to someone and share what's going on because trust has been broken. Or maybe it's really hard for you to be around others because you might just battle comparison. To so, so much that it leads you to say, I just would rather be isolated so I don't even have to deal with that. The list could go on and on about barriers to our relationships and friendships and whatever it may be. I just want to give you a really quick encouragement. The Bible often, and even in Proverbs, talks about people being fools. And the one thing you have to know is that only a real fool would approach you and shame you if you brought that stuff to them. A wise and faithful follower of Jesus, they would come to you and they would hear you out in grace and in mercy and in patience. That's what you would experience from a wise follower of Jesus. That's what you experience. It's okay to open up. And then all these things that you're battling, understand this as well. And all of our friendships, we have to make sure they are centered upon the gospel. We must declare it to ourselves and to other people, reminding us that God's love through Christ's death for our sin and his resurrection is what leads to us being able to be vulnerable and open up 
and find a love that literally leads to transformation in our lives. On the cross, Jesus took all that we're literally holding on to, and he took it himself so that we can be set free from that. And this has allowed us to be open and met with grace. And we have to remember in all that, that God sees all and he knows all. And so you have to know that literally God is not afraid of any of your sin. He's not in the cross. Look at the precious cross. It proves that. He was, he was willing to go and meet you in your sin and all of your garbage. And this is what our friendships should reflect, the magnificence of the gospel. Our, our friendships should reflect that we should be able to have this ability to be inviting with the messiness of our lives and being intentional in that. Because I know the messiness might scare us from wanting to open up and be intentional with others, but the gospel helps us in this. And all this talk about intentionality and then opening up and being transformed relationships remind me of one of a relationship with a really good friend of mine. His name is Nate Locke. And so um, one of the things you have to know about me and Nate, we go way back. We've been great friends, but we butt heads often. And, and we, 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 our friendship started off wanting to be intentional. I remember the first time after I became a Christian, he had recently became a Christian. And I remember I was like, man, I just want to just grow in this. I want to build a friend. And so I said to him, it's the first time it's ever happened to me ever. I was like, hey, man, you want to go and sit down and read the Bible together? And I remember he said to me some years later, he's like, dude, I thought that was really weird that you would just want to sit down with another man and read the Bible because it, it was something brand new to both of us of like this intentionality. But then that led to us also being great friends and we played football together. But then we also one summer worked for FCA and what we did was we went around um, in Toledo and we were going to schools to talk about and promote F the, the uh, camp. And throughout that entire summer, it was challenging because every single day we lived together and we rode to work together and we would be on this drive to Toledo 30 minutes. And one thing you have to know about me is that I like to take my time a little bit. Okay. So I'm that, I'm that person that if somebody's waiting on somebody, I'm probably the one that's going to be lagging behind. If I got a meeting set up, I might be a few minutes late. Lord bless my soul. But, <laughs> but, but so that was me. And so often what that would do is cause us to butt heads in our, in our friendship. So I would show up and he would be like, dude, we're going to be late. What are you doing? You're taking all your time. And so he was being impatient with me and I was being inconsiderate. And we would butt heads. And all throughout the summer on these long drives, we're angry. We're upset at each other. But over the course of the summer, because of our relationship with Jesus and our intentionality of wanting to transform each other, we started to literally seek God in that. By the end, by the end of it, even he would tell you to this day, both of us were changed. One thing he says is I became, he, he says that he became a lot more patient dealing with me. And, I, and obviously you have to be, but also too, for me, I tried to be a little bit more considerate of time. And I, the Lord's still working on my heart. And I know I'll be late sometimes if you know me. But, but one of the things I share about that is that we were just intentional about it. We're intentional about calling each other out. We're intentional about meeting up with one another and talking about the gospel so much it led to a transformation in our lives. And this is just what we need for our friendships. It makes me very, very thankful for the relationships in my life that literally sharpened me up. I think about my huddle, some of my great friends that I have here on the staff team from the past. And I think about my amazing wife who ain't afraid to sharpen me up at all. She, she will literally cut me up and she's, she's okay with calling me out when I'm wrong. And I appreciate her intentionality because it, it takes intentionality to do that for people. But one thing I have to say, even in all this, is that this is very, very important that we do this. Because what we miss out on if we're not intentional is we miss out on the grace of God that can be shown to us in iron sharpens iron friendships. 
When we hide and we're not willing to be intentional and we keep people out of distance, it will make it hard to experience the mercy and grace of God. Because we can experience the, the grace of God when we come face to face with our sin. And then a brother, and we come across a brother or sister who displays the love of Jesus to us. By one, they call us out, but then they meet us at the same time with precious grace and forgiveness. This is where you can feel loved and you can just feel free. And this is the, that's a picture of literally what the gospel is. It's, hey, I got this problem that I am bringing to Jesus and he meets me with his precious arms wide open. And then I find this freedom because he takes it. We can find that sweetness in a friend when they show it to us. And this precious grace that we receive in our Iron Sharpens Iron friendships is something that also points us to seeing that Jesus is ultimately the greatest Iron Sharpens Iron friend that we could ever have. Let's leave it to my last and final point. Real Iron Sharpens Iron friendships exist under the Lordship of Jesus. Real Iron Sharpens Iron friendships exist under the Lordship of Jesus. So Jesus is the only one who is ultimately able to give us growth and transformation in our lives by his love and grace that was displayed in his life, death, and resurrection. He's the one who meets us in our brokenness. He's the one who bears it for us that we might be made new and have eternal life. He's the one who says, literally, I will put on flesh so I can feel your pain. He's the one who weeps with us and has compassion on us, even in our messiness, so that we may be made more into the image of the living God. And we have to make sure that Christ himself is at the center of all we do, that knowing that he is literally the source of everything good in our friendships and relationships, knowing that intentionality and challenge exist under Christ. That's what he has done for us. He's intentional in pursuing us, but he also challenges us with his great love. And so the question for us is, do we actually have good Christian Christ-like friends who are literally sharpening us, that we are allowing to sharpen us? Do we actually have those in our lives? And this is important because I think about Philippians chapter two, where the apostle Paul, he literally is speaking to the church in Philippi and he says to them, I want you guys to be united, be of the same mind, be of the same love. Then he tells them something. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Literally Literally consider others more important than yourselves. That's what he tells them. He wants them to be in unity. So he's talking about friendships, relationships. And then right next, the next verse in verse five, he literally says, I want you to do what? Adopt the mind or attitude of Christ. That's what he tells them. And so what he does right after that, he lays out the gospel. He talks about Christ's humanity. He talks about his deity. And he talks about this humility that Christ had literally to the point of him shedding blood and and dying. And I share this because Paul understood that Christ is our example, that he is our hope, that he is our strength on how to live, especially in the face of all of our relationships and friendships and how we interact with each other. So it's like he interacts with this church at Philippi and he tells them how they are to live with each other. Then he points them towards the source of how to actually do it. And he points to the source of life, the friend of sinners, Christ himself. And so if we are to have life-changing friendships that literally sharpen us and make us better, this must be our vision. For our friendships, a Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting, literally pushing us towards the right things, pushing us towards truth, pushing us away from evil, pushing us towards good. That's what we must have in our friendships. And so my question, Lily, before I get ready to go into some practicals, is just who, who in your life is actually building you up? Who's building you up like Christ? Who's strengthening you? And are you that for other people as well? Now, before we get ready to close, 
I want to talk about just a few practical next steps that we can take, because this can be a, a lot to take in. It's like, what do I do next? And so the first will be this. If you have not had an opportunity yet, or this might be your first time here at H2O, I just pl- please find a, find a way to get connected and plugged into a life group where you can meet other followers of Jesus. Um, you can fill out a connection card online at our website, and we would love to connect you. That's a great way to meet people. The second thing with this, maybe it's time for, for some of us to be intentional and maybe it's time to just confess some sin or just open up with a close friend of yours in your life where you can just share some stuff that you might be wrestling with. It doesn't even necessarily have to be sin. It can just be dealing with hard relationships or friendships so that those people can just shower you with grace and love and the, the peace of Christ. Just be intentional. Seek those things out. The third thing, maybe it's time for some of us to, to go and challenge a friend in our life that we're close to. Someone that we might have noticed that there's some sin or, or, or patterns in their life that literally have been detrimental. And I know it's very hard for us to want to be honest with people, but it's, uh, the next step would just, just go and just share with them what's going on. But do, it, but do it in a way of grace. Go show them the grace. You, it's okay to speak truth, but meet that with grace at the same time, just like Christ does us, and it, it's so freeing. So maybe that's what's next. And then lastly, um, Go and just seek the face of Jesus for, for ultimate transformation. To ask him just to cleanse your heart. Spend time in prayer. Seek it. Go look at him in the scriptures. Go, go read about the goodness of God that, we get to, that is displayed in Christ. That that, that that might be something that literally fills you up. Something that points you to Jesus being the greatest friend you could ever have. And so that's all I have for you. Thank you all so much. Let, let, let me pray and as I invite the band up.